All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Man, it feels good to say that. Mark, I missed you, my friends. I missed you. <laughs> Look, uh, absence, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And and man, I it I you know I didn't think I could like you anymore, but but I do. <laughs> um, yeah, two two weeks is a long time, and you know Jack filled in ably last mm. week. We we had a good time. Um, but no, it's just not the same. And and welcome back from Morocco. All right. So, you know, do the reveal. I got the orange pants on. It is Bitcoin Friday. I got the Bitcoin roller coaster socks going. Uh, look, we are unchanged, mm. unchanged over the last month. We're back to this you yeah. know, up and down and up and down. And um, I I think that's going to going to be like that for a little little while longer. And we talked about this, right? Crypto spring doesn't mean straight up. It means kind of yuck, kind of windy, kind of muddy, kind of, you know, unclear. And I, and I think that's where we are. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, obviously, we don't like to see the correlation to the QQQ, right? The NASDAQ fund, it's, you know, hovering above, and I think it's continuing to trend in the wrong direction. It's above 0.7 or something now. But I think given what's going on with rates, crypto has held up surprisingly well. In my opinion, I don't know. Well, ab- no, absolutely. In fact, there was a funny thing, and I, I don't want to throw pomp under the bus. You know, mm. we're friends and partners, and but he, he did a piece yesterday, and you know, I, I don't know if he did it. He might have just taken it from somebody, but basically, people were saying, you know, crypto, I mean, Bitcoin in particular, is uh, lower volatility than everything else now. I'm like, oh god, short duration calculations of volatility and correlation are just not useful. So Bitcoin no. is not less volatile than stocks now because it has been flat for the month. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you look uh, over the last month, you know, stocks are down a decent amount. You know, they were down 10. Now they're down about six. But <laughs> anyway, but but the, but the idea is directionally OK in yeah. that the volatility of Bitcoin I think is going to trend lower. It's not going to stay at 80 forever. No. Um, even though Amazon's has, and it's, it's been okay, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, people were trying to, trying to focus on this. And then also someone, someone also said, you know, correlation was back to, to negative. I'm like, okay, you can't do a monthly <laughs> calculation of correlation. You just can't stop doing it. No. I agree with you. Also, I, that's always been one of the the little inconsistencies that I that I love about our space, which is we want it to be steady, right? We love when it's steady, but also we love when it's volatile and going up, and we want to oh, have no, our no, cake no, and eat no, it too. Oh come yeah. on! You know, it's so funny. Um, I mean, it really is funny. It's 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 an interesting dynamic. I was, I was reading some stuff uh, before we we did this uh, this morning mm. that you know, whole article on NFT prices you know, no bids and down 99%. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of collections that are down and probably never should have gone up the way they went up mm. um, because there's only so much demand for, you know, and, and so much actual liquidity that can go into that market. And so if everybody creates some cartoon animal JPEG, yeah, some of them aren't going to hold their value, no. but but the true communities and the the true um, platforms that get built from this idea, because the JPEG picture 
NFT is, is one use case. It's one little use case of so many use cases that are coming for NFTs. I mean, I was in Vegas this week for uh, the Web3 Expo. And How was that? It was solid. It was solid. I no, mean, a BlockWorks event, but solid. Right? Uh, you know, again, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> if it was BlockWorks event, it would be awesome. But yeah. it was it was solid, and yeah. you know, I like the people that put it on, and and, and we had we had good speakers, real high quality speakers, not as big a crowd. Part of it is Vegas is just a bad place to host an event. I, you know, you know why people do it. No one whole... comes to the event; they just yeah. go play. And that's fine, but you know, come to the event, come listen mm -hmm. to the people. I mean, I got to interview Mr. Wonderful uh, on Wednesday morning, and look, Kevin is a really interesting guy. You know, very solid investor over the, over the years, and and he actually allowed. This is great. He actually let me title the 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 talk. You know, how you went from dead to me to wear an orange shoes, you know, Mr. Wonderful's crypto journey. Yeah. Because four years ago, we were on TV together on CNBC. And uh, he basically said, you're an idiot, right? Mm. This is Ponzi. It's going to zero. You know, how could you, you know, or, you know, respectable person in finance actually believe in this? And we didn't have the video, but he, he let me put up a picture that showed us having this conversation. And now he just raised a $250 million fund to do Web3. And 20% of his assets are in crypto. And, and he was great. He's like, look, I, you're exactly right. That is exactly what I said. But I've changed my mind. And right, that's the sign of intelligence is when mm -hmm. you're, you know, get new facts, you change your mind. But even that, and this was an amazing conversation, 45 minutes. Um, we bar you know, barely had 200 people in the yeah. room. Because everyone yeah. was still sleeping in and, you know, so I don't know. That, that was my only beef. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, bear market, what, what people are working on in bear markets, I think, tends to have an enormous amount of signal. And I think that there's a lot of stuff to actually be very positive on. Yeah. You know, we were talking a little bit, regulators sniffing around maybe one thing to be not so positive on. Not but so I positive. think... But I think one of the, you know, a couple of the narratives that we've seen talked about in our space, if you've been paying deep attention for a while, the app chain narrative in the Cosmos ecosystem, that is starting to take off. I think an announcement that got slept on a lot at the at the Cosmoverse in, in Bogota or Midian or wherever it was earlier earlier this, this past month, uh, Atom 2.0, definitely something to pay attention to. Yep. And roll-ups. Roll-ups are slowly but surely working in front of our eyes and solving an enormous barrier to entry into crypto in the entire ETH ecosystem so there's a lot of stuff there's to be so about. so much going on you know i just mm -hmm. i just joined farcaster which is this decentralized uh social media thing yeah and it's mostly web three people and it was just amazing i mean mm -hmm. it's amazing the quality of discourse and dialogue and um look there's just there's a lot of great stuff being built and bear markets are for building Right, yeah. because people actually have to. Right? I mean, you're mm -hmm. you're forced to actually build because you can't just watch number go up. Um, but anyway, I I do <clears throat> I do love the fact still that the quality of the people is so high, and the number of people and and that was interesting. When I, you know, I said to Kevin, you know, what what changed your mind? 
right? How did you go from, I hate this, it's, you're dead to me, it's not, not interesting, to, yeah, this is going to be where I'm going to spend most of my time. And he said, really, three things. He said, one, he's a Canadian. He said, when Canada approved the spot Bitcoin ETF, it's like, hmm, okay, mm. that's interesting. <laughs> that, that, you know, because he, he has respect for them and that was good. He said, two, was the fact that um, you saw more capital flowing into to projects that were related to it, just like real venture capital yeah. coming. And then three, which was the big one, says he, he does a lot with the engineering groups at different schools to source deal flow, you know, Shark Tank kind of stuff. And that was smart. He said 30% of the MIT graduating class is going into digital related businesses. Oh my God. That's a huge number. There's huge. a, I got, I got to give a shout out to the Georgia Tech blockchain group. We've been talking to them for a little while. I am blown away by what these kids are doing, how advanced they are. And I mean, when I was, when I was, God knows when I, when I was their age in college, I was not that focused on what I was going to be doing for my career. Luckily, I no was dating someone at the time who was also a consultant. I was like, I think I'd like to be employed after school. So maybe this consulting thing could be for me. But they, I, you know, and if you go, you know, I see on the on the forums, Penn Blockchain, I see them voting all the time. They get delegated to from A16Z. Yes. Pretty yep. nuts. Yeah, very, yep. very, very optimistic. So let, I want to get your take. Let's let's start to transition here into the into the slides that I've crafted for us today, because we got to talk about the CPI print that came out yesterday. Oh, yes. I got to get your take because, you know, Mark, I'm just, I'm sure this is a basic question here, but I was just confused by the reaction here, right? So can you see my screen? Yep. We had a hot print. Month over month, it accelerated faster than both the markets and, and Fed thought that it was going to. So he, uh, headline CPI that came in at uh, the actual the accelerated 0.4% month over month versus the expected 0.2%. Yep. Core, which is the measure that we know that the Fed pays attention to, excluding the volatile prices of food and energy. I don't know about you. I pay a lot of money for food and energy, but okay. Uh, so excluding dumb adjustments. I mean, there are a lot of dumb adjustments. But uh, it's right. But uh, that that is the one that the market paid a lot of attention to because that accelerated a lot. Here we're looking at we can see what were the con uh, contributions to top line core. And we see actually energy has moderated in the past couple of months. So that's actually now a drag on inflation. But we're continuing to see persistent inflation in services, especially, and also food, which is a pretty big one. So what do you think, Mark? I mean, I, I was pretty confused by this because I've got these slides here before, but the market initially sold off, right? As soon as the print went, you know, huge uh, sell-off in futures. And then it rallied into the end of the day. And it ended, you know, the, uh, the, the S&P ended up like 2.5%. Or something mm -hmm. like that. Can you explain what this is? Is this just uh, I mean, you know, hedge I can, funds I covering their shorts? I can absolutely explain it, um, but uh, you know, people aren't going to like the explanation. Um, so, so let's, let's go back to go forward. The the print itself mm. totally explainable mm -hmm. in the sense that CPI is lagging, and it's a monster lag. Yep. And the yellow bar on, on the graph for people who can see it, which is the services component, it, it's just all about owner's equivalent rent. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, yes, housing prices went up a year ago. But guess what? They're on their way down. And uh, 
I don't know if rents will necessarily follow because you know we're we probably don't have enough uh, rental units in the the big cities, like in the suburbs where I live. Plenty of rental units. I mean, prices are falling, yeah. but uh, it's just CPI is just a dumb measure. It's 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 a a long lag. It has these dumb calculations. It's designed for something that isn't what people use it for it's designed for pricing adjustments for entitlements and 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 you know the, the one counter on that is you know it's bad when it actually goes above 2% because if you think about it if you've got medicare medicaid etc indexed to this you're trying so hard to manipulate it down which is what they've been doing for years yeah. and if if you follow this guy shadowstats.com he'll tell you that Look, if we went back and calculated this the way we did in 1990, it would be closer to 20%. If we calculated the way we did in 1980, no, as 1980 would be even higher. 1990 would probably be in the in the teens. So, and everywhere you go, you feel it, right? Yeah. You're in London today. Go, try to go buy you know a sandwich for lunch, and you know I I was uh, in Vegas, and you know I bought uh, lunch for myself. It wasn't even fancy, just you know, little, I think it was like a hamburger or whatever. And it's $22 yeah. for one person. I mean, come on. And yes, that's Vegas or London, but in Chapel Hill, right? I paid, I, I've told us I paid $18 the other day for, you know, tacos and a, and a water. So my, my point there is the inflation number has people freaking out. But what, what happened on the response is the plunge protection team, Right. The Council on Economic Stability, which is the plunge protection team, uh, they, they, they just you know, start buying futures, right? This is dark pools. This is a massive short squeeze. And you don't see up 4% days. And this was bigger than that, right? This was from down three to up three yeah. in you know a couple hours. That's never happened ever in a bull yeah. market. Not, not, not once. I, I, mm -hmm. So we are definitely still in a bear market. This is non-normal. This is intervention. And look, this is a combination of the Bank of Japan intervening in the yen and the, you know, chancellor intervening in, in the pound and, and the gilts market where you are, which we'll talk about. Yep. And this is massive government intervention. Look, the, the night before this big jump, the Treasury Secretary, Ms. Yellen, said that she was concerned about adequate liquidity in the Treasury market. Yeah. Did you see that came 24 hours after she said no, nothing to be concerned about in the Treasury market? This is an example, I, I believe, of the, the machines have taken over, that there's no one left actually trading markets. You know, if you look at the returns of the market, quote unquote, the market over the last three plus years, more than 100% of it happens in the overnight when the market's closed. Yeah, I saw in that. The gaps. Hmm. Nothing happens during the day. Now, this happened during the day because the gap open was what it should have been, right? People should have been freaked out that they've lost control, they being whoever the powers are. And... I, look, I, I think this is everyone was was offside short. Um, 
you know, the machines put a little squeeze on and, and everybody has to cover. And we'll see. I, you know, Morgan Stanley had a massive miss this morning uh, on earnings. And AMD last week had an even more massive miss on earnings. I think earnings are going to be dreadful. Although I, 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 I love Twitter. So I, I saw somebody tweet out, well, yeah, earnings are going to be bad, but, but by next quarter, comps to last year are going to be easy. So then earnings will be good. Like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You can't just say that, oh, well, because there was a bad fourth quarter last year and we'll have a better fourth quarter. So better than bad is not good. That's not yeah. how it works. But anyway. <laughs> That's that's a that's a mental gymnastics there to make bad earnings be like oh but the base effects in one year it's going to make it good earnings in a year yes that is fact, some, i think one of the comments that is some the, uh, Soleil level of mental gymnastics right there yeah, that is I mean, pretty impressive yeah it was yeah it was olympic level yeah and mm. i think i think one of the comments was like yeah you know if we just ignore 2021 it's all good mm. it's like i say this all the time if i just ignore the fact that I have no legs, I am six foot four, right? I mean, cause sitting down, I'm like six foot four. But when I stand up, I'm less than six feet. Like, cause I have these little tiny legs and, but I'm yeah, long torso, whatever. But yeah, if I just ignore that fact, then I can claim I'm six four, but it's not the way the mm. world works. You touched on two important points that I want to get to there. You, you were starting to think, you talk about entitlements and I just want to zoom in on that to make sure that the audience understands how important of a point that is. We basically have these liabilities as the United States, right? And that is a very real form of currency, right? That is not so you cannot print the medical care that we have promised to nope. people over the age of 65, right? That get Medicare and Medicaid. You cannot print that kind of stuff. And nope. critically, those are inflation indexed, right? So that I think what you were describing there, it's that it's a big deal that we're getting the CPI readings that we are that kind of there's this misalignment of incentives with the government. We have probably now we understand that, I mean, even for me, my generation, I was told, yeah, you're not gonna have social security, it's not viable, right? So there's this unviable policy that we haven't been honest with ourselves that it's not viable, but we really, really, really do not wanna default on that because that is gonna be probably the least, most least popular thing to default on. And well, it is linked to CPI. So we have this weird incentive where we want to show lower CPI ratings because that reduces a very real liability on the U.S. balance sheet. That's what you're talking about there, right? hundred percent. Look, an, an entitlement is a promise you make to yourself that you don't fund and you ask your kids to pay for. Yeah. And it's awesome. And we boomers, right? We made lots of them. And, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, all, all this stuff, uh, Social Security. It, it's amazing that you can have all this free stuff but you actually don't fund it. So how do you pay for it? And I've told the story before, right? My mom believes there's a little pot in Washington, D.C. of Judy's money. I'm like, mom, there, there's no pot. She says, well, how do I get paid? I'm like, for me. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. my money is going in. My taxes are going in. And they're paying for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the challenge, you know, when I had two kids, I was like, yeah, the problem is when I reach retirement age, which is not that, you know, long from now, although I'm not going to retire, but... uh when I reach retirement age, there'll be two workers for every retiree. When Social Security was set up, there were 17. Good system. 17 workers, one retiree, no problem. Two, 
So that means they have to choose between my wife and I, and I lose. So I had to have mm-hmm. more kids. So I had another kid and you know, that was the end, but you know, cause can't have any more past 47, but um, so I'm still screwed cause I only got one and uh, you know, Will, Will's awesome. So I, I guess I'm just going to have to make sure that Will gets a really, really, really good job. So he can pay a lot of taxes to pay for me. So, yeah, that will. No pressure, buddy. No um, pressure. No, no pressure. pressure, dude. Uh, then the, the other point that I wanted to zoom in on that you said there was that, that we basic, basically what we've had so far, the reversion in the stock market indices in the US, Dow, S&P, the NASDAQ, that has been based on interest rates alone. We haven't really done the adjustment based on earnings. So if you think about roughly, right, this is an oversimplification, but two major components to valuing stocks, there's the price, there's the earnings. The price, that's what we pay is based on the discount rate. So we've got interest rates shooting up. Interest rates are an enormous input into the rate that we discount stocks back at. So when interest rates go up, we use a higher discount rate. The cash, we value less in the future, so the value of the stocks go down. That's basically what we've seen so far. We have not seen a reversion in the other thing, the under the P, the earnings, because we started to see projections moderate a little bit, but that, that still seems like the next shoot to drop to me. What do you think about that? Well, it's already, it's already dropping. I right? yeah. said AMD last week, horrific number and mm. semi-stocks all cratered. Now they all, all went up a lot yesterday. I'm like, well, you know, dead cats do, do bounce once. Um, and so, you know, Morgan Stanley missed badly today. You know, I think the uh, iBanking revenue is down 55% or something. And, you know, M&A is down, activities down. And part of the problem is, this this nonsense, and we've talked about it before, of, of what I call you know the high jump problem, right? Mm. The, you 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 know a year ago you told me you're going to make a dollar. Six months ago you told me you're going to make you know fifty cents. Last week you told me you're going to make ten cents, and then you report eleven cents, and I'm supposed to be happy. That's ridiculous, right? That's take the you know the bar off the rack, put it on the ground jump over it and say, oh, I'm the world high jump champion because I jumped over the bar. I'm like, no, you can't just lower the bar. And and that's what these companies try to do. And so it'll say we have 70% plus, because it's always 70%, Mm. earnings beats this quarter. Mm. No, no, none of the companies are going to beat. They're going to lose to what they thought even two, three months ago, forget a year ago or six months ago everybody's going to come in light and you see it everywhere. Mm. Um, now that, I'm sure someone could come up with one or two companies that's actually, you know, done well, uh, divorce attorneys, something like that. I, you know, I, and I, I don't mean that in, in a flippant way, but I've heard more, unfortunately about that is, you know, times of stress, you know, things get ugly in, in, in relationships and, and that happens. Um, so I think there are certain areas that, that, you know, probably have higher revenues and, and earnings, but not, not many. Now, I have a question for you. So we're looking here at core CPI, right? This is, uh, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. Yep. Multiple, we've got a couple of quotes here. One is from Nomura. The other is from Jamie Dimon, which is linked from Tom's newsletter. So the quote from Nomura, today's report supports our long held view that inflation is much more entrenched than the market consensus and the Fed's expectations. As a result, we believe today's data supports our above consensus terminal rate forecast for 5.25 to 5.5%, including our call for 75 basis point hikes in both November and December. The market is actually pricing in now 
75 basis points with a chance at a 100 basis point hike in November. And they're pricing in basically a, the, a 75 basis point hike in December. So the market basically agrees with this. Jamie Dimon says, besides predicting a hard landing and a 30% crash, CEO of the largest bank said his gut told him that Fed funds rate will probably have to rise higher than the 4 to 4.5% level many economists are predicting as inflation persists. This comes back from the quote that Stan Druckenmiller gave us three to six months ago. He said, you know, we've never gotten out of an inflationary period where we did not hike Fed funds above headline CPI. My question to you is, do you think we're going to get there? You know, it's such an important question. You know how I feel. Questions are always more important than answers. Yeah. And and I'm going to stall a lot on this one because um, I don't really have a good sense. I know I know what I, I believe should happen, mm. but I don't really... Give me that scenario. Handle. What do you think should happen? What I think should happen is they they should stop raising rates mm. because I I I believe that this is a bad measurement, right? This is mm. not inflation the way we all think about inflation, mm. right? This is not demand pull inflation. This is not even supply. In, in some ways, there's some supply constraints, but what it really is is just currency devaluation, mm-hmm. right? They they printed way too much money and it's coming back to haunt us. Now, you could argue, and I would, I would relent, that no, Mark, there, there has been a lot of supply disruption because of the silly zero COVID policies in, in China and the breakdowns of the um, supply chain. Yes, right? I've lamented, right? I can't get my my new Nero, because literally there are no Kia Neros in the United States. I mean, mm. there's like one in, in Hawaii and uh, I, I don't want to go to Hawaii to get it. Um, but that, okay. So fine. I'll, I'll accept that. But I really, I believe that we're mismeasuring quote unquote inflation because it's really the impact of of dollar devaluation. Mm. And if it says, no, the dollar's really strong. I'm like, yeah, the dollar's strong versus the yen and the euro, which are devaluing even more. And now the pound, which is just destroying itself. But smoked. The the yen, look at where the yen is right now. It's a, it's 146. It's above yeah. the rate I mean, that the, the Bank I mean, of the Japan is yen, The yen's lost 35% of its value relative to the dollar this year. That's, that's, okay? that's just a this big year. move. That's, that's a very big, big move. Big move. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that is because, right. And I've, t- I've talked about, right. You know, I'm very nice house, but my house is not worth 40% more than it was a year ago. It's mm. just not, mm-hmm. right? it's, it's not the house itself is not worth more. Someone would have to pay more because those dollars are not as good. It's, it's like the food that I ate for lunch the other day that I paid $18 for. It's the same. It's the same eight chicken wings I've been eating for the last four years at the same restaurant. But the money that I pay for them with is worth less. Mm. That nothing changed about those chicken chicken wings. They don't taste better. They're not better for me. I mean, someone said they're not good for you. I I think they're really good because they're baked. They're not fried. So So this is what the... I mean, there's some pretty crazy charts. These last two years have been the years of crazy charts, right? 
What we're looking at here is the two-year bond yield, which is creeping up above four and a half percent, right? And to use your phrase, right, where the neck goes, the head will soon follow. And we know that there's a strong correlation, let's say, in between the two-year and Fed funds rate, right? What we're looking at on the right here is the spread between the 10-year and the two-year. This is that inverted yep. yield curve that is plunging to, yeah, it's merging on the deepest level that it's been since the 1980s, right? So a, this is a deep inversion and a very predictive of, again, strong correlation with an impending recession. I, you know, and, and this is what's causing all of it, right? So the Fed is looking at, they have, they have expressly said this, right? This has come across in the minutes. We've heard Jerome Powell talk about this. This is when you want to see slack in the labor market and it has remained persistently low, right? So we're looking at US initial jobless claims. This is that blue thick line on the bottom. We saw a jump last week not because of anything that's going on in the economy, it's the, it's the hurricane, right, that's happening in Florida. So this little bump up here, that's not indicative that the, the labor market has ma remained persistently strong. So I have an opinion on this. I, I'd be curious to get, wh why do you think the labor market has persisted and is, is as strong as it is? Again, you know, I, I don't think the labor market is strong. Do you, mm. do you know companies making layoffs? I know mm. lots. Yeah, me too. Like lots. Yeah. <laughs> like, like lots, lots. Yeah. And have you, and, and everybody says, no, no, the labor market is strong. Everybody needs help. I'm like, no, what, what we're seeing is a couple of things. One, we got this, you know, birth death problem that I talk about all the time, which is yeah. they just, they just artificially count jobs that aren't there because they say we're in an expansion when the yield curve is clearly telling us we're in a recession and mm -hmm. earnings are clearly telling us we're in a recession. And you know, so so that's that. The second is the 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 silliness of removing people from the labor force when they turn sixty five is just inane, right? I mean, that's just silly. Just because you turn a certain age doesn't mean you stop working. Plenty of people who are still work have to work; they don't mm -hmm. have any choice. So I think, again, I think the data is flawed. You know, why don't we use payroll taxes to count workers? seems like a simple solution. We have the technology to do that. Why, why don't we do that? I don't know. Weird. Yeah. You, you can also, you can also make the argument, even for inflation, you know, we're talking about forward looking indicators. Why, why aren't we taking data from Visa or MasterCard or any of these payment processes? How about the million prices project? A bunch of MIT engineers have a, a constant feed, like in real time, it monitors yeah millions and millions of prices around the world in real time. Yeah. And people say, oh, we, we won't use that. Like, well, why not? Why not? Well, because it might be more accurate. And we don't want accurate. We want yeah. obfuscated. So I, I'm, I'm speaking with Eric Brismajian later today. He's a great analyst. You guys should all pay attention. He's awesome. We did, a, we did an interview back in April, and he kind of outlined these four stages of economic change, right? And this is how he said it played out. Stage one, there's a change in interest rates, right? Which is a monetary acceleration or deceleration by the Fed. Then that gets fed into primarily housing, economic forward-looking indicators, right? And housing is the economy, as you and I have talked about. So we talk about it so often on this program because it's not only the price of housing and there's the, the wealth effect, but it's also like, uh, you know, white goods and all, all this all this different stuff you sell furniture, into a house, right? Furniture, all, all this stuff. So it is basically is the economy. Yeah. Then on then then what that feeds into is corporate earnings, right? Because people start to feel it on the in their paychecks. And they uh, and then the last thing is unemployment, right? So 
people are spending less money that gets translated into corporate earnings and then unemployment. It's the most, you and I talk about lagging indicators, that at the very end is unemployment. It is the most lagging indicators. The Fed is basically jamming the stick because they want to see slack in the labor market. And it's like, dude, it is, it is happening. It, it's a little, it's a little frightening. I got to be honest. It is a little frightening to watch play out in real time. It, it is. And it's, and again, I, you know, sinister Saturday. I, I, I keep trying to, to believe it's not mm -hmm. intentional, right? I, I really don't want to believe that the powers that be want to create bad stuff, mm. right? I, I, I really don't want to believe that. But, but you look at their actions and you look at, at the potential impact that it has. And it's everything from, you know, how do we solve, you know, persistently weak economic growth? We go to war. Yeah. And in every case in history, that's what, what we do. Well, war is, is bad. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. really bad. And well, it's good for defense companies, but it's, it's bad for, for human beings and, and populations. Um, but, but, you know, here we are, you know, quote unquote, in another war. Now, I don't really view it that way, but, but people spend a lot of money on, on uh, defense. And then, then we have uh, things like, you know, the widening uh, gap in uh, incomes and, and uh, net worth is, you know, the rich get richer when inflation numbers are high and the poor get poorer. So if you think about the, the Fed's job is, is quote unquote price stability, right? That, that's mm -hmm. supposedly their job. Well, if that was their job, then what grade do they get right now? Pretty poor. F? F minus? Yeah. I mean, yeah. can you go lower than F? Can we give them a G or an H? Mm. Um, yeah, they, that's what they would get. And so now you can say, well, okay, Mark, well, well but now, now they're, they're committed to getting it back down. But all I've heard is, well, maybe we should change the target to four, mm. right? Well, okay, why? Why four? So then we can steal wealth twice as fast from people. And so if, if I were really cynical, I would say, you know, they're not really doing that much because this is the plan. Yeah. And the plan is to escalate the value of the assets at the top, which is owned by a very small number of people, you know, all seeing eye. Um, I don't know. You were just me, near the pyramid. So, you know, <laughs> let, let me, let me present. I, I agree with some parts and I, I would push back on others. So let me just present an alternative opinion to this. I think, you know, one thing I, I cannot imagine the stress of running, being in charge of so many people's lives. Honestly, I mean, even, even managing payroll for some amount of people. And there was a book that came out, you know, Paul Volcker post, you know, his, his hiking in the 1980s. So it's like changing fortunes or something like that. But it's, but it's basically a retrospective on what he felt like going through that at the time. And I have to imagine it's like you are staring into the void, man. It, it, I mean, you are in charge of the finances of the empire, right? The largest country in the world. And yep. the, the negative consequences associated with getting it wrong are just so high. So I, I, would, I would, if I was putting myself in Powell's shoes, and I know everyone's speculating that this is a pride thing and it's about his legacy. I'm just going to say, Powell aside, if it were me sitting in that seat, I can't honestly say I'd be doing that much different because what they messed up in the 70s was 
They would hike a little bit. It looked like it was starting to get back in line yeah. and then it didn't. And then it, they just elongated the problem. Basically it led to a lost generation, right? Of stagflation and continued, you know, this very volatile bouts of inflation. And I think the most optimistic thing is to say they learn from their mistake. They want to take the medicine all at once. They shouldn't have done it. They should have, they should have started hiking and not being as accommodative last year. We know that now, but I, that, that's what I could say, maybe to, to push back a little bit. It's totally fair. Look, I, I'll, I'll say, I'll say, in 2013, mm-hmm. right? They should have started hiking in 2013. They should have. And you know, to have emergency stimulus, the loosest economic conditions in history, 10, 12 years in to the recovery, right? The global financial crisis happened a long time ago. Now it's funny. There, there was this guy, and you know, he has like 177 followers, so maybe he's not that that uh, influential. But he wrote this scathing piece about a bunch of people on Twitter, and he included me in there, and and uh, all about bear porn and how all these people are there. They're always saying the the negative. The world's saying, like, no, it's not what I say. In fact, most of what I talk about, you're a very positive guy, positive, actually. Right? Actually, actually, most of us knowing you, you're very positive. I happen to be. I, I do happen to be negative on the economy right now, because I think the economy is doing really poorly on, on every measure. And I think the stock market is doing poorly, right? I mean, it, it is down 25%. And, and stocks and bonds together are actually having the second worst year in history behind 1931. And so he, he took offense to my use of, of global financial crisis too, my hashtag GFCII. My, we're in that. I mean, look at the definition of financial crisis, right? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Well, that means yeah. that prices are down a lot, which they are. It means that economic growth is down a lot, which, which it is. It means there's some sort of turmoil in liquidity and, and functioning of the markets, like the UK pension system being bankrupt and having to be bailed out overnight on a Sunday, which is when it happens. So, and the fact that the Great Depression, right, 1931, was the only time when markets are worse than they are today, you would have to at least acknowledge that it kind of looks like and feels like a crisis. Now, you can say, well, but you shouldn't point that out because you'll make people afraid. Oh, no, I think we should talk about it. We should have dialogue and debate about it. We should, you know, have, have the the discussion about, well, what could make it better? I mean, could the fed actually fix it? And, And this goes back to what I've said over and over on, on the show, how many interest rate hikes are going to change the price of natural gas to Europe from Russia? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter. How many interest rate hikes are going to change the price of wheat coming out of Ukraine? doesn't matter. How many straight hikes are going to change the zero COVID policy in China and open up their borders? Doesn't matter. So I don't believe that the Fed, you know, we just awarded the Nobel Prize. I saw that. What? I mean, that actually, I got to admit, that one made me, that one made me turn my head. I, how tone deaf could you be? I mean, that I thought was really it's bizarre on it's bizarre. so many fronts. It's bizarre. I mean, it's so it's just bizarre. But remember, he was 
elected Times Man of the Year. Yeah. Right. And 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 here's the thing. I've, I've said this before too. Right. My friend said, "I remember a day when I couldn't tell you the names of the head of the central banks." Yeah. I long for that day to return. And as long as we put these people on a pedestal and we give them the power that you described, right? This all-knowing, all-being oracle power, um, the market knows best, right? The two-year is telling us that the Fed is, quote-unquote, behind the curve. Yeah. The inverted yield curve is telling us that we are about to have a recession at least as bad as the 1980s when... You know, where I grew up in Seattle, there literally was a billboard with the last person to leave, please turn out the lights. It doesn't necessarily have to be the Great Depression, but we're one policy error away from that because that's how mm-hmm. depressions happen, right? You you make a policy error and recessions turn into depressions. Mm. You know what? I was, I was just looking up as you were saying that. Uh, the, you know what the Bernanke thing reminds me of? Which, by the way, I think it's fair to say he should have done QE when we really needed it when we were in the depths of a crisis, right? But QE1 became QE infinity. And yeah. that's an important distinction to make. And what I was thinking about when we were talking about Ben Bernanke getting the Nobel Prize and all this stuff is, do you remember that Time Magazine? There was a Time Magazine cover of Alan Greenspan and Rick Rubin in 1999 or something like that. And it was, you know, the Committee to Save the World. To save, yeah, exactly. The Committee to Save the World, the Plunge yeah. Protection Team. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, man, well, what do we do? You know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's slowly eroding. The, all, all the incentives are just wrong. Lynn Alden has this great tweet uh, that really made me think. She, this, this, it's part of a longer thread. We can link it in the show notes. But ironically, a lot of people that dislike active portfolio management because it's statistically very hard to do successfully heavily endorse active management of the root layer of the global financial system because that's not harder. Seems like a, a positional conflict. Love. Which is Love. so I mean, true. That, that, is, that is the best. It is it the is. best. And it, 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 it is real. Yeah. yeah. So then what do we, what, what do we, what do we, if, if we need the manager of base money to essentially be the best active hedge fund manager of all time consistently, over, over periods of hundreds or thousands of years, because that's how long we want the United States to endure, that, that is a government, that is poor governance. We have the wrong governance system in there to manage base money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's poor incentive. But again, that, that goes to maybe that's not the goal, right? Maybe the goal mm-hmm. isn't this, you know, long-term stability and long-term, you know, superiority. Maybe the goal is, as I have described, you know, that the, the, the purpose of central banks mm-hmm. is to make bankers and rich people rich. Mm. It has been since 1607 when the Rothschilds created the first one. You know, there were no central banks yeah. before then. And there wasn't even a central bank in the United States until mm-hmm. 1913. And why was that? A bunch of rich people okay, decided that they would import this model right, from the Bank of England, which imported it from the Bank of the, you know, the Netherlands National Bank. And it's it's just frightening when you think about how these small number of families, Rothschilds, Morgans, et cetera, have been and currently are in charge. I, I love, I, I know we talked about this before, but I, I love the picture of, of the Bilderberg uh, board seats. So there's this thing called the Bilderberg Society and it meets once a year and it's you know all these, these highfalutin families. 
And the members, right, it's public, it's a list. And so this guy every year goes through and takes that list and then draws a picture of all the companies that these people sit on boards of with all the interconnections. Your mind will blow if you mm. Google this picture. And what's it, what's it, what should I Google? Bilderbergs? It's, it's called, you know, the Bilderbergs. And then mm. it's, it's like a corporate board, you know, cluster diagram. Mm. But if you just do the Bilderbergs and search images, it'll come up. Mm. But it's, it's really unbelievable that the same small number of people oh, yeah. run every company, sit on every board, you know, they, they trade board seats back and forth. I mean, it's, it's really, and, and then, and then what we get from that, this is when my, my personal pet mm. peeve. So this morning, someone tweeted out the, the picture of, uh, they, they rated foods on, um, according to, you know, the, the health administration, right. Mm. Uh, attractiveness of certain foods. And at the top of the list, watermelon was number one, followed by like frosted mini wheats and then a couple and then then honey nut cheerios and oh, no kale kale was number two and then it went down into you know some mm. other stuff and at the very bottom the very bottom was ground beef i'm like on what planet is eating honey nut cheerios better ah, for you yeah than eating a hamburger there's there's no planet anywhere in the world but why would that be well then the next picture was the picture of the four food companies that run the world and all the processed things that they sell us mm. and then we wonder why we have an obesity epidemic and a diabetes epidemic and a heart disease epidemic it just makes me angry and it, it's mm. all about the money yeah can I give you a, I, I was, I was, uh, one of the things I did on this vacation walk, I listened to a great book called Rubicon. I, I read this a while ago and I, it is, it's yeah. a, it's an in-depth kind of historical, uh, fiction, but it's, it's really based on it. So it's, it's all the fact, right. That this guy tries to accumulate and then he puts a narrative on it of the 100 to 200 years of the transition from Republic to empire in Rome. So really, really interesting. You get that he talks about all the major characters. Let me give you an example of, something that starts out as a good, honest idea, but translates into something that's very corrupt. So there was an, Rome in the beginning, they didn't have this great administrative body that they would later have an empire. So when they start to, uh, you know, go out and do these fights, right? This is a whole part of their culture is virtue and glory. That's what they were pursuing. They wanted to war with other people. They didn't have a good system for administering taxes and putting them into part of the empire. So they're kind of stumbling with this. And what, what happens is some king, because they, he, he wants to get on the good side of Rome, basically takes it to logical extreme, Pergamum, he gifts upon his death the entire kingdom to Rome, and it's so much money. It's an enormous amount of money. They don't have any good system to collect this, so they come up with this system called the Publicani, which was supposed to be, this was supposed to be a bridge system in between. So basically, funny system how it worked, you would say, okay, how much taxes do we think Pergamum can extract? Okay, let's say it's I'm using dollars here, but let's say it's $2 million a year. They would get someone to front Rome $2 million a year up front. Then you go and you collect the taxes and whatever you make on top of that, you can basically keep as a thank you for your efforts. And, 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 uh, and it's a, uh, and it's, uh, you get basically interest because we're going to treat this as a loan that you made to Rome. 
you know, it was an honest attempt to, hey, we don't have an administrative body in place. We got to go figure this out. So this seems like a good break. And it ends up being so successful, right, that it's what everyone wants to do, right? And you, you start to go out and everyone wants to be the publicani and they want to collect all this, this enormous tax burden. And then the senators who are supposed to be separate from this, you know what they actually create? They create shares. So the Senate can't participate. They can't be a part of this. But what they can do is they can create, they can own shares in the company. So that's the, the system. And actually, I, I mean, I looked, that, that's exactly what happens now yeah. in Congress. And, I, and I, I looked this up. This is crazy. They, there was one of the earliest system of limited liability corporations that they, they invented back then. You know how they did it? No. They would create a corporation and they would put a slave in charge because a slave is already property. So if there were to default, you can, what are you going to do? Your recourse is to a slave and they're already enslaved. Oh, <laughs> isn't, I mean, that's messed up, obviously, but isn't that oh, unbelievable? No, I mean, look, it, it's, it's, it's the origin of Pelosi-nomics. Mm. I mean, wow. That is I just love these stories and hit because it started off as something that was an wow. earnest, genuine attempt to solve a problem. And yeah. it probably worked decently, reasonably well for a period of time because Rome didn't have to put up any capital, basically. It was, they were pushing off, you know, they're yeah. basically taking variable. And, and it ended up almost... It was too well, successful. the far off kingdoms were far off, right? You, yeah, you, know, you didn't know how to navigate, and but 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 you know when you incentivize people, they'll do the you thing. Will get, yeah, you will get action. I agree. And you know, you think about that, right? If if I get everything else, and and I've been given this mandate from from the emperor that I can go collect taxes, whew, yep. I will extract some rents, baby. I will say, yeah, they will. And they did. And they did. And everyone had their, you know, whatever it is, their hand in the coffer or their, in the cookie jar. And it, it, it degenerated into, you know, really poor, a really poor incentive structure that, that ended up biting them in the butt big time. Well, and then what, what you also then create is this problem of, well, wait a minute, if, if, if he's owning a piece of that Publicon, well, then I need to have my own Publicon. And right. So, so the connection that I would make, right, to these like committee to save the world, Times covers, and what Bernanke did, there's a there's a really strong part of that which is very justified, right? If you can avoid enormous pain and suffering, structural damage, enormous ailment, that's a good thing. But then it gets taken too far, right? They get the magazine covers, and oh my God, this works so well. Like we should just do it a little more. And they know in the back of their minds that the the downside of this is. I don't believe that they are unaware that it's creating wealth inequality. I just don't believe it. But it seems oh, you, it's very, God, you see no, how it's very easy to justify, no, no, no. right? You it, can the, see how it's easy to justify. No. Michael, yeah. the nonsense of, oh, we don't know. We're, mm-hmm. we're not responsible. Of course you know. And yeah, here, look, these people are PhDs, right? Fed's full of PhDs. Yeah. Now, the fact that they're over like over 287 or whatever it is on estimating GDP one quarter out is comical, right? I can flip a coin and be right half yeah. the time. Yeah. So the fact that they can't come up with a number with all these PhDs, but, but at the end of the day, someone also tweeted out the other day, uh, you know, here we're giving out these prizes for economics and uh, the head of the, the Fed is a, tre- is a lawyer and the head of you know, this 
entity is a lawyer, and the head of this is a historian, and there are no PhDs in economics. They are, you know, lawyers and and you know bureaucrats, and mm. they've never held real jobs. They've never put together a limited liability corporation. They've never yeah. had employees. They've never had to deal with the actual uh, economics and the system in which mm. they are trying to keep intact. And, and look, I'm, I'm, you know, as I'm as big a opponent of price fixing as anyone on the planet, right? I think mm. all forms are bad, everything, including minimum wage, all of it. If you control prices artificially, you're wrong, right? Mm. The market does a better job. The yeah. market does a better job. And it doesn't, doesn't mean I'm against social safety nets and all that stuff, but when prices are formed, they should not be set by human beings. I'm so in agreement with you. Price of money, price of, of labor, price of goods, pr prices should be set by markets. Mm. Mark, I want to, uh, I know we've got limited time here and we haven't talked about the guilt situation at all. So I'm actually, this is an unfolding situation, but it looks like the chancellor uh, has been sacked. This was rumored and now it becomes, you know, fact. You sound like it. such a good Brit over what? there in London. <laughs> you know, the was sacked. Ah, uh, yeah, sacked, sacked. Yeah, and all I'm going to say is yeah, really, list. brilliant. It was a brilliant. List, mate. Brilliant, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Sorry for offending our UK audience here, uh, but he got sacked, right? So he's out of office. But basically, this was this, uh, the situation that unfolded last week was there was a new mini budget that was planned and was going to be highly inflationary, right? It basically amounted to tax cuts. Ultimately, not actually a horrendous idea to stimulate an economy. I didn't think it was particularly bad. The strong reaction to it came because they had a 10 handle on inflation. So you do not want to be rolling out accommodative stimulatory measures when you have 10% inflation seems obvious to the market. The market puked basically on that, right? So you had Gilt's historic sell-off. The Bank of England had to step in, basically restart QE on some kind of limited basis to save the pension funds, which we've covered quite a bit. Can you give us, and, and now it looks like they are doing a complete 180, right? The trust plan that she, she, she's rolling out is actually going to raise taxes, raise taxes. And it looks to me, I wasn't around for this. I actually wanted to get, ask are we watching the bond vigilantes? Are they coming back? This is a thing I've just heard about, right? I mean, this is, mm -hmm. can you give us a, a history lesson here? Like what are bond no. vigilantes? Do you think that's what's happening here or no? You know, that's, that's very interesting. Mm. Um, it's very interesting. I mean, bond vigilantes is, is of course the, the construct that there are, um, you know, market participants, back to mm. my believing markets should should drive things, that that keep a, uh, a regulator on the prices of, of bonds and, and, and interest rates. And that, you know, if, if they get out of whack, you know, the vigilantes come in and, and force the, the, uh, the rates in the opposite direction and or prices in the opposite direction and which affects rates. And I, I struggle with this one because if you think about what happened, right, you had reckless investment banks selling products to, I don't want to call them unsophisticated because there are some sophisticated people at some of these pension funds, but, mm -hmm. but by and large, you know, they're, they're, they're not at the same level of sophistication in, in, uh, derivative structures as the people selling 
Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's like when, when, when Goldman used to come in and, and, uh, and this was 15 years ago, and they, they were selling people on, on inflation protection. Mm. And they were going to give you these free options. <laughs> they were free. Now, they were skimming four, five, six points off the back end by running it through their system. But what did inflation do the next 10 years? Well, it went straight down because there, there was no threat of inflation 15 years ago and you know, demographics and all of it. But, but go and make a ton of money and uh, you know, a bunch of endowments and foundations and pensions lost a lot of money. And, you know, you had the famous Orange County thing, right, where they were selling derivatives back, and this was 20 some odd years ago, um, and on on mortgage bonds and blew up on people, uh, blew up, a guy lost his job and, and, you know, Orange County almost went bankrupt. So now you got the same thing. They sold them these crazy leveraged structures on gilts and, and I think gilts, are down 52%. An enormous amount, yeah. You know, so you think about that. Um, If you're down 52%, it's bad. If you're down 52% and you have leverage, it's way bad. Yeah. And so I think you've got a situation where there was no choice. I mean, you, you can't let all of the pensions be, and the endowments and foundation be effectively bankrupt. Um, especially if you caused it. So I think you, you had to, um, how should we say, uh, encourage, encourage the central bank to, you know, come to the rescue yet once again, and then they'll give them a prize for being so, you know, magnanimous and, and brilliant. But it's been pretty wild to watch that, that figure of of how, how down guilt are. It is, they're down more than Bitcoin is on the year. Pretty startling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and, and to that point, right, the only people that got hurt, not the only people, I mean, the people who got hurt the worst in Bitcoin were the ones that bought it on leverage because mm-hmm. they got liquidated. If you didn't sure. buy on leverage, you're still holding and mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're down, but maybe you bought a long time ago and you're up a lot. I yeah. Mean, but, but even if you bought one year ago and you didn't have leverage, you could still hold it. But if you had leverage, gone, zero. Toast. Leverage is it's a tricky beast, that's for sure. Um, it's, it's, it's a totally fine tool if you don't have daily mark-to-market, right? Mortgage mm-hmm. on your house is way easier to manage than you know, a margin account. Um, but also, it, it depends on the vol of the asset. Mm-hmm. You know, don't lever high vol assets. Now, people would say, well, well gilts aren't high vol assets. This year they have been. No, they're not, except when they are. Yeah. And, and, and they are because you had so many derivatives contracts tied to them. It's like, it's like literally winding a spring, right? Mm-hmm. The tighter you wind it, when it finally goes, it goes. Yeah. And, and I think that's where a lot of economies around the world are right now, is they're tightly coiled springs that are about to unwind yeah. And so I think we're going to see more of this restarting of QE and more printing. And when it happens, and I, I've said this, right? When, when the Fed finally relents, 
the face melter of a rally in risk mm-hmm. assets is, is going to be a thing to behold. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it'll be temporal um, because things will be really bad. But boy, the short term, it'll make yesterday or two days ago look look like a, you know, a warm awesome. back. This is my last, my closing question to hear for this week is the, the U.S. is basically exporting inflation, right? And some countries, we care about exporting inflation to less than others, but it's beginning to hit our allies, our allied countries, especially now that we've got this geopolitical tension it's hitting Japan, it's hitting yep. the UK, the EU. Is there ever a world, I know there are no voters overseas and we protect domestic policy and it certainly looks like that's what the Fed is doing, but is there a level of din, right? Are there, are there enough phone calls that the head of the ECB and you know the what, whatever can make to Jerome Powell that makes him say, yeah, you know what, maybe I've put our allies in enough pain and I'm going to have to do something, right? Maybe it's not easing on interest rates, but it's opening up swap lines and giving liquidity that way or doing whatever. Do you think there is a level of pain? I do. I do. And I have a little bit of a theory on this too, which is, you know, every February when, you know, the WEF crew gets together, mm-hmm. all these groups, the G7 bankers go to this event and they all meet. And I don't know if they do it by drawing straws or if they do duck, duck, goose or, but, but they decide, and maybe it's actually an active decision, but they decide who's on the hot seat, Mm. meaning whose currency is strong Mm. because no one wants a strong currency. No exporter wants a strong currency. So I literally think they, maybe they arm wrestle. I don't know what they do in the back back rooms of WEF, but actually bad stuff, but um, somebody gets on the hot seat. So if you go back and you look year by year, it always starts around that February timeframe. Somebody starts to rally, whether it's the Euro, whether it's the yen, whether it's the dollar, whether it's the renminbi. And I, I think it was our turn in the hot seat this year. Mm-hmm. And so the dollar has been rallying versus everything else. I think that probably changes up again in February. So I don't know that there's enough calls to change that mm. until they get together again would be my thesis, but it's just a thesis. and I can be totally bonkers. Yeah. All right, Mark, really miss this, man. It's been really good. A uh, ton of fun yes. seeing your face again yes. this week. Great uh, to have you back. Great to have you back. Great to see you looking good and rested. Oh, and- thank you. Ready to go. Congrats on, on DAS London. I'm, I'm hurt that I wasn't invited. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just we, kidding. we rely on you for a lot. I don't want to impede uh, too much I, on your I, time, I but, uh, yeah, well, um, I'm just, yeah. I'm just kidding around. I, I do, you know, I do love London. It's one of my favorite towns. Um, but, and you know, I do anything for you guys anywhere. So just, uh, remember that. I appreciate it. My friend, Mark, as always, best hour of my week. I will see right. you here. Have a good one. Next week. See y'all.